Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and red all over. I'm your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 92. And if you want to listen to this one, which hopefully is not too depressing, as well as <laughs> as well as our other episodes, uh, feel free to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Spotify or Google or Apple Podcasts, I should say, feel free to leave us a, re- a rating, a review, all of those good things. So I'm already stumbling over myself. That's always a good sign. So let me bring in the crew here of Sam LaPressi. Hello, Sam. Pressing seems to be our shtick lately, isn't it, Dang? Unfortunately, unfortunately. Yeah. Chucks, liven up our mood. Hello, Chucks. Well, I can liven it up with a song quote, um, as the great Nelly Furtado once sang, um, all good things must come to an end. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's all oh. I got. I feel okay. like that wasn't original for her. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She had a great voice, though. Great, great voice. Yeah. She still does, I would assume. Yes, yes. <laughs> she's still alive, yes. <laughs> yeah, had, has. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Does she still make songs? I don't know. I feel like she's more of a... I think she's pivoted into producing more than she has into singing herself yeah. at this point in her career. That's the last I heard. Last but not least, we have Tata Martino's number one fan, Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. <laughs> hey, fellas. Um, yeah, no, today sucks. Uh, today's pretty bad already. Um, <laughs> this week's been pretty bad in general. So, yeah, good stuff. Happy to be here. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm not going to help the mood a whole lot, but here we are. So let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, on that uplifting note, Sergio, what was your takeaway from the week that was? You know, that that we are at that point uh, with the Mexican national team that a draw in at home is like, okay, that was decent. I can live with that. Yeah. So that was depressing on that end. Uh, but on the other Juve related end, uh, just that, you know, it it's hard. You know, you always have to do that thing where you have to kind of suspend this belief a little bit when you root for, for a club and you kind of have to think that it's, you know, it's not just a bunch of rich guys playing a game. Like, you know, it's not owned by a multi-billion Euro corporation. Like, you know, it means a little more. It has all this mystical things. It's about belonging to something bigger than yourself and all of that. And, you know, you kind of have to do that just, just to kind of enjoy a lot of what, what, football has become nowadays. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you get this type of things that remind you that, no, it's, it's very much a business and, and, you know, it is what it is. It's sad, but, you know, Juventus has become that. We have become just kind of like a, like a business-like run club. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of very successful clubs are run that way. But I think we are fully now into that era and we just should just should just embrace it. I think, you know, we, we are past the whole, you know, family run club and we do things different here. I, I think that's pretty much done. And, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, it's, it's just time to to accept that. I guess that would be my my biggest takeaway. All right, Samuel, you're up next. In a similar vein to that. Uh, while I, I I agree with with you, Sergio, that 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 very much is the case, I think there's still a level of decorum that you have to uphold even in that that structure. And the events of this last week have seen absolutely none of that from Juventus. I mentioned that writing this week, and I guess we'll get it into later. But it's just it's not a you know yes, this is a business uh, at at its at its core. But 
I'll go into the pop culture bit as Chuck's did. You remember uh, the movie 300, right? Yes. When there's that one scene where Leonidas is eating an apple after the first battle and the Spartans are busily slaughtering all of the wounded Persians while he's talking with his second in command about going to meet Xerxes. And at one point he says, besides, there's no reason we can't be civil. While, you know, people are, you know, stabbing people's spears into dudes in the background. And it's like, that's kind of how this week struck me is that it was, it, it seemed off on that level, the way everything was handled this past week by the club. All right, Edward, what pop culture reference do you have up next? Uh, none really, um, actually. <laughs> um, now I've uh, hit my quota for today, or this week, I should say. Um, so no, uh, although maybe I might come up with a surprise one later on uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, no, I kind of have one and a half takeaways. Um, one of them is really just how difficult it is for people like us, uh, pundits, I guess, uh, sports writers, uh, whatever we are, whatever we call ourselves, um, to, you know, to really objectively slash like in an informed manner, like talk about stuff like this in, in an informed matter, because talking about the contract negotiations, of course, with uh, Dybala, because, you know, we don't know what was said in the meetings. Like we only hear this second, third hand through, uh, you know, articles and stuff, through rumors and, you know, hot takes and whatnot. Um, I mean, of course, in the press conferences too, but even, you know, even in the press conferences, as we all know, they're very polished, like, you know, they're very specifically written to only convey exactly enough information to the public as is needed. So, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's difficult for us to, speak about this really objectively without i mean inevitably just kind of wandering into speculation because yeah we just don't know what was said in all the meetings and not only that but also what each party actually thinks but i mean obviously that's a little more to it but yeah it's it's uh you know and obviously in preparation for this uh for this episode i was just thinking like i mean trying to kind of get a firm hold of like what you know the whole dibala stuff was and it was just hard for me you know because i'm like I'll come up with opinions, but I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, isn't that me just speculating? So, uh, yeah, it's hard. Our job is hard. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and that's, uh, that's really uh, that. And then kind of the half takeaway of just um, how fascinating negotiations are, I think. Just the process of negotiation in general is so interesting to me. Just one party trying to persuade the other party to kind of let to do what you want them to do. But then how much information do you tell them? And is it is it always about money? Is it really... It's about something more than that. And then, you know, it's just this this very, it's just this fascinating dance between two parties of like, okay, we both want something, but what if we don't want the same thing? How can we kind of find, not even a compromise, but find something that serves both our interests sufficiently? I, I, I just think, yeah, it's so, and I recently read a book about negotiation and I'll talk about that later, but it's just so, so interesting. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about it. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, the the Paulo Dybala situation is where we're going to start with today, and you know, it's it's something that we have covered at nauseum uh, on the website the last essentially couple of years, ever since basically this time of year, two years ago, when Italy was in lockdown, and well, there wasn't much else to talk about other than hey, maybe Paulo Dybala might be actually getting a contract extension, and here we are, two years later, and Paulo Dybala has two months left in his Juventus career essentially after the decision was made to not give him a contract renewal after like we said essentially two years of negotiating so 
while it is disappointing, you can, um, you can definitely see, and as much as I don't want to both sides it, you can definitely see both sides to why Dybala was upset and why Juventus chose to go in a different direction. And uh, since he wrote a very good piece about it, I will start with Sergio again, you know, knowing that you are the Dybala stand on the podcast, the stand amongst stands, uh, just what, it, what is the last you know few days been like knowing that, you know, your favorite Juventus player is soon to be not a Juventus player anymore. Yeah, it's been, it's been weird because actually in, in, in that piece you mentioned, I, you know, I spent pretty much at least half of it saying why this is not even a bad idea or why it's defensible, right? Because Divala has, you know, he has suffered through a lot of injuries past couple of years. Uh, he wanted to become one of the highest earners on the team to commit that amount of money for a guy that's, you know, really been unable to consistently suit up for a team for what's been now two years. It is like there is a reasonable debate about whether or not that is the right move to make when you're building your team. And with Dusan Blahovic coming over, with Federico Chiesa coming back, there was a very, very sensible argument to be made that he didn't fit in that team anymore just because of his age, because of his injury concerns, because of what they were trying to, to do with the team. There is a very, very good argument to be made that this was... I don't know if the right decision, but at least a very defensible one, right? And to me, it, it's so much more not only about what's on the field, but what we were saying, right? Like what Sam was saying was how it was handled from day one, right? Like the, the renewal's been going on for two years and they just haven't been able to close it. It's been meetings on meetings on meetings. It's been, you know, running jokes about the umpteenth visit from, from the Balas agent, uh, Jorge Antun, which... Just quick aside, I should never know the name of agents in football. <laughs> like, why do we know that? Like, honestly, like, we just shouldn't know who represents the players, like, as fans. Like, we just do, do not need to know that. But for whatever reason, for the way football is handled nowadays, we know the names of the agents of these guys. But, you know, whatever, that's that's an aside. And it really does bother me the way they handle the negotiations, like Sam was saying. Like, just, you know, to, to string along your, your player, a guy that, you know, I, I mentioned it on the piece, a guy that, you know, you gave the number 10 shirt, a guy that, you know, is one of your captains, a vice captain, a guy that is one of your longest, most tenured players. And to just have him on this, you know, yo-yo kind of like, we're going to renew you definitely, but not really, or no, we are not really, and just kind of to dangle that renewal over his head throughout this whole season, like that to me just feels just like a bad way to treat any player, but specifically a guy that, you know, you could you, you cannot complain about what he gave to the club. You know, just as a, as a guy, as a player, as a football player, of course, there's a reason to not renew him. But for what he has done for Juventus, it just felt like a really, really bad way to handle it. And to me, the, the worst part is that, you know, Juventus had developed this reputation of treating players fairly, of, of being, you know, very good to their players or treating them differently. You know, we sometimes complained even that maybe they were too lenient with it, right? Like when, when Juventus said, like, if you want to leave the club, we'll, we'll allow it. Like, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to hold you hostage. And I think that built a reputation that allowed them to swing a lot of the moves they, you know, they did after afterwards. I think this is a step in the wrong direction. I think this is going to signal to players that that 
they are no longer that club that would, you know, kind of be, you know, treat players a little bit differently than, than other clubs in Europe did. Now, I think that in the long term, I do think that's going to probably come back and, and bite Juventus at some point or another. And just, you know, my, my, my final thought kind of is, you know, just, just a, a bummer of a way of letting a guy, a guy go that was just such a key part of so many very, very good Juventus players, right? Like it didn't need to be a, it didn't need to be like this. Right. So, and you do have to wonder if that's going to affect his development the rest of the season, if that's going to affect his performances, you know, if it is, is he going to be checked out, you know, who knows, but I do think it was a very, very bad way of handling it. And if you want to, you know, a lot of guys are going to be like, oh, if he's really loyal to the club, he should have taken less money and not dragged the negotiations on. I, I just, I just think that's a, you know, bad faith argument. I, I really do. And, you know, if you want to pull that card, like, you know, we, I mentioned it in the piece, but we demand loyalty from players, right? Like we demand that they're loyal to the club, but we never demand the club to be loyal to the players, right? And if you want to, of course, there's completely speculation, but really he started getting hurt right after he tried to play through that injury he had against Leon in, in that Champions, Champions League knockout round. He tried to play through that injury. He got re-injured and he never quite bounced back from that. So you could even make the argument that, you know, he pretty much, you know, he was never the same guy after trying to play through an injury to try to help the team and to kind of pull that move, that bad faith negotiation move on, on, on a guy like that. It just, you know, may, leaves you feeling a bit icky about rooting for Juventus and, it's just unfortunate that so many things like that have happened in the last few years that make you feel like, ah, oh, I don't know if it's worth it to put so much effort and emotion and all of that into this club. And I just never feel good about it when, when it's all said and, over, said and done. So, you know, it, I, I think that's kind of where, where I'm at right now. Yeah. Feeling icky is I think exactly the, the way that it is the absolute best way to describe it. And 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 like and and like you said, we've had a lot of those the last couple of years between everything that Andrea Agnelli has done in relation to the Super League and the way that that he he treated people close to him during that, and also the way that the team very unceremoniously dumped a guy like Andrea Pirlo, who has you know has been very close you know with the club ever since he he signed you know he. And, and the thing that blows my mind about this, about this whole thing, is had lockdown been unnecessary, I'm pretty sure Paulo Dybala would have finished, would have signed his contract like sometime between the 1920 and the 2021 seasons. For a second there, I thought you were going to say 1920, and it felt like that long. Hey, <laughs> um, put the apostrophes in there. But like, don't you always get that feeling? Like Dybala was having a good year under Saudi and Juve did not have the money issues that COVID has produced. Like, I, I, I feel like if it wasn't, th this is one of those things where, where you, you really see the long-term effects of what the pandemic has done in the soccer world is that here you have this guy in, you know, who has been a loyal servant to the club, as Sergio said, who has, who, potentially might have ruined his own career trying to help the team win a Champions League tie by going in in that Lyon game. And 
and he's treated like he was treated this week, where you know Andrea Agnelli literally escapes team headquarters before his people arrive at the at the complex, and then you know to just be be so as as everything was just dragged out so hard, it was really disrespectful to me, and I think that and I think that there is a of a serious question that Sergio raised, which is how is this going to affect us in player relations going forward? Especially with a guy like, you know, you know with a guy like Matthias Delict. Is Matthias Delict looking at this right now and wondering whether or not he wants to stay long term because he might be on the receiving end of this next? Or you look at a guy like Chiesa or even Vlaovic. And unfortunately, we know Delict's the name of Delict's agent. Yeah. Unfortunately, we really know the name of Delict's agent. <laughs> um, and and so that's the, you know, I, I think that is the, the, the real takeaway from this whole saga is that Juventus just, Juventus bungled it from top to bottom. If you're gonna, if you were gonna let him go, let him go just, and then, and, and also shut up about it, at least until he's on another team. Maurizio Rivabene has been on, you know, has been speaking into every microphone that's come anywhere close to his face the last couple of days. And he is also, he is turning into a presence that I dislike. I'm, I'm going to come out and say that. I mean, sure, was he brutally honest about what happened with Dybala and in, in relation to Vlaovic and the contract negotiations? Sure. Was it, it, was, it, it obviously was honest. It was also really condescending and really unnecessary when you've got Dybala still playing a key role in a, te- in a team that still needs to be winning most, if not all, of its games to get into the Champions League and potentially win any silverware in the Coppa Italia. Like Sergio said just now, and like I said in my piece, like how is this going to affect Dybala? Dybala is a guy that has always worn his emotions on his sleeve. When he is, is unhappy on the field and unconfident on the field, you see it. And, and vice versa, when, he's, when he knows what he's doing, when he's got it going... He is phenomenal. So it's going to be really interesting to see what goes on between now and the end of the season with him, because if he checks out and drops off, that's a major problem for, for Juventus as they try to, to, to finish in the top four this year because they need his play. And Arifa Ben is just, coming out and 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 has basically been bad mouthing players at every opportunity not just with with Dybala there was that you know there was a that crack about uh, that he had in December about players being more loyal to their agents than their clubs which can very much be interpreted as Matthias Delict as well I, I know we've talked about this a little bit before I I don't follow F1 I've never really been into auto racing in general but from everything that I've read about Maurizio Rivabene, he did not come out of his time at Ferrari well-liked. And it seems like the exact same thing is starting to play out at, uh, with, with him at Juve. And like Sergio said, it's starting to feel a little icky. And I wonder what it's going to do for us in terms of recruitment, in terms of player retention later on. And Sergio might've picked up on this as well. I, I don't know if you guys saw, but, um, Ferrari won the F1 season opener last weekend. And let's just say a few of our commenters who are big F1 fans, <laughs> they certainly noticed that the 
former Ferrari chief is now at Juventus. So I'll just say that. Yeah. But before we get to Chuck's, I just want to point out, you know, we mentioned this whole, you know, negotiation thing. Let's not forget that they basically had a handshake agreement in October about oh, yeah. a contract. Didn't love, didn't La Repubblica, was it La Repubblica or was it, was it somewhere or was it Tutto Sport or somebody said that they literally had a signing party planned for him in October? Yeah. And I mean, there was, there was reports, you know, it'll, it'll be done in November. They want to get it done before Christmas. And then I don't know. And I mean, it, it's totally ironic and it's just, it, it happens to fall where it does. But of course, Dybala's first game after all of this just happens to be against the team that he's been linked to the most, not only after this contract decision, but you know, the last few months since this thing has been extended. So I don't know. It it's Sunday is going to be interesting for a number of reasons, but Dybala is quickly becoming the number one reason why. Yeah. Uh, to the first bring kind of on a tangent uh, on the note of um, Dybala's injury, like against Leon, how that kind of kicked off his, uh, downward spiral of uh, injuries you know that's why i always say and this is really one of my pet peeves in in sport and in i guess in life in general but mostly in sport when people say you know oh you're hurt but just fight through the pain just like you know do it for your team and like hang tough you know, be a man. yeah and i just i despise that statement with such a passion because you know it's just not smart <laughs> it's it's not smart to like if you're hurt just recover recover fully and then come back but then people are like no no he fought through the pain he's a real soldier no he's not he's a moron <laughs> like you don't do that that hurts in the long run it's one of those short-term versus long-run things where it's like in short term might might be beneficial but in the long run it's it's i mean usually disastrous but anyway um yeah with old uh, contract uh situation with dibala i think to me the most bizarre statement or just the most confusing one to me was uh, what Arriva Venes said after just in this official uh, press conference announcing that Dybala wasn't going to extend, um, just this statement of, um, I mean, I'm reading it here from uh, from the article. Uh, with, with the transfer market, I reiterated it. The approach was sincere. With the signings made in January, with the arrival of Vlaovic, Paolo's position is not what it was anymore at the center of the project. That is why we prefer to make this kind of decision. And, uh, you know, to me... There are two things that just like stand out to me as a bit strange about that statement. First of all, is when he said Paolo's position is not what it was anymore at the center of the project. I mean, with all respect, I don't think <laughs> I don't think Dybala was ever at the center of Juve's project because to me, I just think no, there was never a coach that truly built around him. And, you know, it seems a little bit insincere to say that he was at the center of the project because like i said just from a sporting perspective i just don't think that was ever really the case so i mean you know was it a flat-out lie i mean i don't think it was said without intention but it just seemed a little bit insincere to say that and then you know he said with the signings made in january with the arrival of dusan vlaovic the way that sentence was structured like with the arrival of dusan vlaovic uh, Paolo's position is not what it was anymore. It's almost like a because we signed Vlaovic, therefore we decided not to extend. We couldn't extend Paolo anymore, and it's it, it seems like a strange kind of causal relationship there because it's Juve made the decision to buy Vlaovic. It, it didn't just strike from the sky that Vlaovic just you know forced his way into the club and the opportunity to sign him might have though. 
Yeah. Because no one was thinking that financially that could have happened, and then all of a sudden it did. Yeah, but, and true, but then the question to me, and then going back to that handshake agreement thing, that was, you know, supposedly in October-ish. Um, I mean, we signed Vlaovic in January, so what, again, that seems just, like something just doesn't add up to me. Like it really, you know, it either the intention to sign Vlaovic was there earlier and that, and again, this is, goes back to what I was saying earlier about the whole speculation thing. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, if there was that handshake agreement in October, I don't recall anything that really happened between October and January. I mean, besides, you know, Ibala got hurt a bunch. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean, happened. Again, it's like, but again, is that anything new? Like, like literally Dybala, Dybala ended up missing what, almost a month, like starting a week after that report came out. That's what it was. I think is that, you know, Dybala came out of the gate playing really well. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, then we might've been talking about a different thing, but he got hurt. Juve got cold feet because there is very much not unlimited money anymore, you know, because of the way that the team's finances have been hit by the pandemic and you have what you have. Yeah. And part of me wonders if too, they had the, their sights set on signing Vlaovic this summer. And then they saw that small opening in January to get them because obviously, you know, the likes of Man City and Arsenal and everybody else is, is going to be gunning for a, a big striker this summer. And it was just like, okay, we, we have this one shot really to do it. And January came and they got, uh, they obviously got them. So I don't know. It, it feels like there are dominoes that fell that led up to everything that's happened. It's just, you don't know necessarily what order and, how what specifics they are because like as you said chucks we're not there yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and i think that that's fine like if, if you want like chuck said like if, if you want to say hey listen we didn't think we had a shot at this guy we did and you know we can sign him now and and you know obviously having him with Dibada, it doesn't make sense either financially or on the field or whatever excuse you want to use I think that's fine. I think as a club, you should be allowed to, to make that decision. The only thing that, you know, that, that then we have to just ponder is like that, that's fine, but then don't sell us on the whole mythology yeah. of, you know, the number 10 shirt and, you know, how much it means to be a captain at Juventus and, you know, how much we are a differently run club and we do things right. And we are this kind of like, tent pole of, of, you know, virtuousness, let's just not sell that. Right. Like, let's just say, Hey, you know, you know how other teams treat their players, like in the premier league and whatever, then that's who we are. We are the exact same and that's fine. That's not even a bad thing, but let's just, you know, call a spade a spade, I guess that, that, that was my biggest, my biggest point because a big part of, and obviously so some people might might not share this feeling, but a big part of why I started rooting for Juventus and why I liked Juventus was this whole mythology that we were different, right? And, you know, all of this, when 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 the whole Calciopoli thing happened and, and Juventus went to Serie B, that players actually stayed with the club and helped them come back to Serie A and this whole thing about, uh, you know, the Piero staying and Buffon and all those guys, that just resonated a lot with me, right? And every time now that a player leaves the club that we, we crucify them as like, oh, they didn't care, they didn't love the club, whatever. And, you know, when the opposite happens, then, you know, a bunch of a bunch of people are like, well, that's what it is. It's a business. You have to be ruthless. And, and you know, it is what it is. And if you don't think that way, then you're just naive or optimistic or whatever. 
I, I think you can't pedal both things. Th that's really my whole thing. So if Juventus is going to be that team that just, you know, sees a business opportunity, makes a business decision, a decision that once again is very much validated and it, there's a very defensible one, then let's just be that. Let's just be that and stop with the whole, you know, mythology of, of how we're a differently run club because we're just not. And I think that's, you know, to get ahead in the current landscape, maybe that's how you need to be. It is a, the sad reality, but let's just, you know, stick to it and don't try to upsell us on something that's just not really who we are as a club anymore, right? Yeah, then just to kind of go back again to that, and I totally agree, Sergio. I mean, it's just like, you know, if you are like, yeah, just admit it, you know, like you said, just from Juve perspective, just admit it. Um, and indeed, just a romance around the, you know, being bigger and I don't know, some kind of moral high ground. Yeah, I mean, I don't, especially as I've gotten older, I, I you know, I don't buy those, uh, you know, pretty statements about morality and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the whole thing, again, kind of my stick on uh, Aiva Ben and just his statements and just the kind of the role, the role of Vlavic is signing in just this whole, I guess, breakdown of, of uh, Dybala's negotiations. Um, I, I still just can't really figure it out because like I said, I mean, okay, if, if the way from the way he said it, it sounds to me that Vlaovic was kind of a cause or like signing Vlaovic, therefore we don't have the money anymore. Or therefore some kind of sporting priorities changed um, such that we can't, you know, extend Dybala anymore. And again, that just strikes me as strange because to me, the question is how much was um, the Vlaovic signing planned um, either in January or in summer? Um, because if it really was planned beforehand, then okay, you're gonna say Dybala or Vlaovic is the cause that Dybala couldn't be signed and or or extended. And we, if we'd already planned to get Vlaovic, that means that we eventually essentially knew that we weren't going to <laughs> extend Dybala beforehand. So then, I just don't understand why. Like, why did we drag these negotiations on? If if sort of to me, it sounds like we knew that we weren't gonna. Um, extend that we were going to well try to anyway sign Vlaovic and basically didn't have the intention of extending uh, Dybala so I guess my general point is like I really wonder the sincerity with which like what truly our intention was to extend Dybala all along whether it was okay let's kind of drag him along and see okay if we don't get Vlaovic yeah let's just extend him and or was it like really okay? Dybala is truly the center of the project. We truly want to keep him. If we get Vlaovic, great. Yes or no? But you know, to me, it seems like the former that we didn't really have the intention of well, a placing Dybala at the center of the project, and then b I don't know. I guess he seemed kind of like as, as an alternative, as a backup option almost. And um, yeah, and again, it's just it's, we're gonna drag all this stuff on for I don't know how long. Just for that kind of backup option. And again, just kind of as a closing thought, uh, I just recently finished this book, um, really, really good book on negotiation. Uh, it's called Bargaining with the Devil by Robert Mnookin, I think he pronounced it. Um, really, really good book. I highly recommend it. But yeah, one thing he talked about was um, something called, uh, I think it's the BATNA, uh, Best Alternative to Negotiated Agreement, uh, which is basically, you know, once you're negotiating with another party, uh, you always have to think about what you're, what your BATNA is, what your best alternative to a negotiation is. 
And so with you, yeah, with Juve, it's like, I wonder, okay, what, we went into this negotiation. Uh, and then the other thing is like, once your Batna is better than like any kind of negotiation, it's just, there's no point in negotiation. You know, if my alternative is better than me talking to you, then why would I talk to you? Um, and it seems to me that like, Juve was just always holding on to this, yeah, to this alternative of either Vlaovic or someone else instead of Dybala. And, you know, we were just kind of keeping in the, staying within the negotiations to see, okay, how can, uh, I mean, if Dybala significantly drops his salary demands, okay, then this negotiation, this, this outcome from negotiation could be favorable, but it seems like he's going to hold on to his uh, salary demands. So we're going to keep our, our alternative, our Batna, our backup option, basically, we're going to keep that open. And we got Vlaovic. Then to me, it just became a situation where, well, the alternative was better than continuing negotiation. So we're out. <laughs> and yeah, again, I, I just really question the sincerity with which Juve negotiated uh, with Dybala, which again, I mean, does that make us bad? Does that make Dybala the victim? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But it's still just kind of a sticking point. Yeah, it's just even, you know, even removing all sentimentality, even removing all of all of what we have already talked about. I think just in general, to lose a guy that talented for nothing, just, just like in general, I think that's a really bad thing. You know, take take away all the, the things we talked about, about whether it was bad faith, whether it matters because he played a lot of years for us, whether it matters that he was a captain, you know, just... You know, just losing a guy that talented for, you know, a guy that at one point we were even rumored to be getting 100 million euros for, obviously not the case right now. But I, I think still in the open market, you could get, you know, a pretty penny for a guy like Dybala still, you know, to just lose that guy for nothing. A guy that, by the way, still leads, leads the team in goal score, you know, obviously as a Juve player, Blahovic leads overall, but Dybala has scored more, uh, you know, for the team as in the whole year. You know, he's obviously still super talented. He, you know, obviously losing guy of that talent is probably going to hurt the team on the field and just losing him for nothing, just financially speaking, I think it's a pretty, pretty poorly done deal, right? Like, because you could have flipped him for something, at least. Like, if, if you were leaning towards letting him go, you could have flipped him for something. They didn't, and, you know... It is what it is. That that just adds to how poorly they negotiated this whole thing. Because if it was real that you know once Blahovic was in the picture, Divala was very much not. Just sell him in January, right? Like get something out of it. Like if that was really like what your process was, or at the or hold your nose, extend, sign him to whatever the heck he wants, and then sell him next year. Yeah, exactly. Like, like just get something. I, I think just letting him walk for nothing. I think that's fine when it's you know, a guy like Federico Bernardeschi or a guy like Mattia De Sigli, who we will renew. And that just pisses me off so much, but you know, whatever, like, dedicated you to can, you, buddy. You let, sorry. Dedicated to you, buddy. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Let's keep those guys in the club. Those are the difference makers. So, you know, when you, you, you let those guys walk for nothing, it's fine because what, what are you really sacrificing money wise, right? Like not much, but a dude who can, in my opinion, really get at least 40, 50 million euros in a transfer fee and just let him walk away for nothing, you know, that's that's pretty tough to stomach as well. So just all around, I know a lot of people are super happy with Arribavene because he got Blahovic, he got Sakaria. Those are fantastic deals. Kudos to him. But I think this is the first thing that really, that I think, I know it, it's not all on him because this is the thing that's been dragging for a few years. But this to me is the first, you know, kind of bad move of his 
you know, of his tenure, in my opinion, just because, you know, you're letting him go for nothing. And that's, you know, th- that's always tough. Yeah. And it's, and just to, I, I, I don't mean to, to jump your segue, Danny, but kind of to, to shift into that, it, you know, in talking with some friends in the last week, you know, it, it really goes to wonder what kind of long-term planning has there been on this team for, for goodness knows how long. I mean, and like you said, Sergio, that, that stretches back into the realm of Fabio Paratici and, and how slapdash at team building he seemed to be. But, you know, as I said, in, in the piece that I, that went up yesterday, you know, it, it, it seems like Juventus is going to be trans transitioning towards a, a system that, that will use wingers around Blaovic. Well, the only winger that we currently have under contract next year is Federico Chiesa. So how do we do this? Yeah. And 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 the winger in hindsight they maybe should have kept is currently tearing it up for Tottenham. So that's always a nice nice yeah, uh, reminder. <laughs> Which is how they got Vlaovic and that's, you know, it, it makes no logical sense to me what the plan is. Cuz as we you know, you say you don't want to spend the money on Dybala, but you're going to be spending a hell of a lot more to try to remake this team now around Vlaovic than you would have with with Dybala back in the fold renewed. Yeah, and obviously that's that's where we transition to next is what what comes in to replace Dybala. And obviously the last couple of days have uh, involved a, a bevy of rumors. Um, the thing that stands out to me is that at least in terms of the attacking options, they're pretty much all young and they're pretty much all Italian outside of, uh, or, you know, Domenico Berardi isn't necessarily young, even though it feels like he still is, uh, he's been around for 20 years or something, but you know, you, you see the, you see the likes of, uh, Zaniolo, Raspadori, Berardi. And I mean, while you like to see Juventus going the Italian route because strong Juventus usually means a, a strong Italy and, We'll we'll get to that in the Twitter questions, but um, we have to, unfortunately. <laughs> but I mean, it. Who knows what direction they're going to go in the summer? But at this point, it it seems like they are going to try and at least get somebody young. And I don't know. It it feels like as much as you know, Federico Chiesa is talented. We just don't know what he's going to be like when he comes back at first from his injury. So I don't know it, it, you know, going to a, a, a formation that revolves around Blavich, that seems obvious, but the options, you know, we've, we've basically bounced back and forth between wingers, no wingers. And just when Juventus gets rid of basically all their wingers outside of one or two guys, now it's back to wingers. And I don't know, you just want this club to settle on something and, they can't settle on anything. Yeah, it's and it, it, it's it really goes to show. I think, like I like I was saying that, you know, ever since Andrea Agnelli got that obsessed with with making the champ with the Champions League and winning it, it's just been like the you know the stereotypical cab tour of Rome. It's like, oh, there's the Colosseum, there's the Circus Maximus, there's the Forum, there's this, there's that, and it's just like, oh, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. And it, it doesn't, you know, nothing sticks. No project is allowed to grow. You know, we've, we talked a lot about that with, with, with Saudi and Pirlo is that, you know, neither one of them had necessarily the teams that they really wanted to 
have for what they wanted to do and then were fired before they were given that, there doesn't look to be a real plan right now. And like you said, coming, you know, looking at at guys that are young and Italian, that's promising, you know, especially since we also have been building the last two years around other young Italian guys like Locatelli and, and Chiesa. But, you know, every guy that I see linked to us has one or two drawbacks as well as, you know, you look at a guy like Zaniolo. Zaniolo is fantastically talented. He's 22 and he's blown out both knees. Raspadori. I like Raspadori as a player. I like him a lot. Frankly, I think that, you know, you want to talk about what, about what uh, we'll be talking about during Twitter questions as well. I feel like Roberto Mancini should have given him the chance to supplant Ciro Immobile up top for Italy a long time ago. But he's not necessarily a winger. He's more of a seconda punta, like, you know, guy who plays between the lines centrally. He can play out on the wing. We've seen him do it. But it's not the best expression of his game. And that's to say nothing of of all the other moves that we're look that we're potentially looking at, you know, and the club probably still wants a midfielder. They're probably going to remake be remaking the the uh, at least part of the back line with you know at left back. There's the there's a a guy that Chuck might be able to tell us a little more about who's uh, what's his name Owen Vindal. Oh yeah, Vindal. Yeah. Uh, at AZ. Uh, at at Vindal. Yeah. Who who seems to be in the crosshairs, but because that's the thing is that there's going to be a lot more to do to this team other than buy the new forward line. <laughs> Um, like I do think there's, I do think there's going to be some relief in the sense that I would still put money on Quadrado extending for a year or two, even though that's also been a bit of a saga because we also heard rumors, uh, reports of him being ready to go with an extension, like in October. And that hasn't happened either, but I would still say that it, that, that it would be a more likely that he, that he resigns, but there's so much uncertainty. I don't think that there's, you know, a single guy that can, that, that you can really zero in on and say, all right, he's the guy that's coming in with, with all that money. Just, sorry, just on Vindal, um, he's a, a well, good player, um, but he's a left back actually. Uh, not, I mean, yeah, that's what occasionally. The, oh, were you? Yeah. Yeah. I was saying, well, like, yeah. Cause I was saying, cause Sandro, it looks like Sandro's out the door this year. So, oh, okay. I thought you were talking about and re- with respect to like playing. Half, yeah. No, no, I wasn't talking about him in terms of the forwards. I was talking uh, about him in terms of like, but like, just like, like I was saying, like the overall, th- there, there seems to be an overall remake, not just the forwards to replace Dybala and Vindal is, is part of that potentially. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just to, in terms of, yeah, the alternatives, uh, you talked about I me, mean, discussed them pretty well. I actually don't have too much to add there. I guess in, instead of looking externally, I'm actually going to just comment on the kind of internal resources we have in terms of wingers. I mean, Morata obviously has shown that he's you know pretty capable on the left wing. Um, now, of course, as you said, the question is, is he going to be here next year as well? Speaking of players that, you know, not really sure if we're going to have them under contract next year or not. Um, I mean, are we going to extend him or make the deal permanent or I don't think I've ever. Well, the, the only it. the only way they make that deal permanent is if Atletico comes down from the price that was built into the original deal. Because right, right, you you ain't spending 30, 30 million euros on yeah. Alvaro Morata this summer, no matter how much they they love him as a person. Yeah, he's got to be the he's got to have the record for 
the longest loan deal ever in history. Multiple loan deals. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I can't even think. He's only been a permanent Juve player for like what two years, and technically, or one or two Techn- years. No, technically, he, that was his first one. Was technic his first tenure yeah, was, was a long. full buy with a buyback clause that Re- that Real that Real activated. Right. It wasn't right. a loan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it's just it's very bizarre <laughs> if you think about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe Morata then, uh, maybe Moiskin, who's had a, a kind of an iffy season, but I mean, he's also capable of playing on the left wing there. Um, so, you know, those are perhaps one or two alternatives, um, just in internal alternatives, if we're going to be playing a full-on winger system that can play on one wing. But you still want one natural winger. And you've got yeah. Ake and Sula cut as well. If you really want to, if you want to start, say, you want to talk about getting young, let's, let's talk about the youth system for a second and how we don't use it. And maybe we should yeah. start. <laughs> they will be going on loan to Serie B next season. Yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I say that in jest, but also kind of in truth. But also, it, it's, it, I, I think it'll absolutely happen. Or, you know, at the very least, like the teams that get promoted this year. But then, um, and before I pass it off to Sergio, um, you know, just kind of bring it, ba- bring it back to contract negotiations. Then, of course, another crucial player, player as you mentioned, is uh, Cuadrado. And I mean, perhaps Bernardeschi will be extended. I don't know, but okay, you know, let's. He is the most crucial, according to some people. <laughs> yeah, that's a sore topic. I know. <laughs> um, um, so you know, let's just bring those two players because I mean, again, we're just talking about wingers in general. So Quadrado has obviously had a very good season and shown just how important he is to the team. And yeah, Bernardeschi. I mean, uh, you know, on and off and injuries and whatnot. So you know, those are two wingers. Well, those are two wingers, obviously out of contract next season. Well. Then you have to think about how now Dybala not extending with Juve and us pro- probably transitioning to a winger-based system, how that affects any potential contract negotiations with Cuadrado, well, especially Cuadrado and perhaps Bernadeschi. Um, you know, how does that in- impact them? Because, you know, going back to what I said about um, the, the BATNA, the best alternative to negotiated agreement, we go into negotiations, especially with Cuadrado, with... I mean, Cuadrado has a lot more leverage now in, in, in his negotiations because he knows we're moving towards wingers. We need wingers. He's been, he's had a great season. He's very loyal and just, you know, had a, just been a very good contributor to Juve. So he has a lot more leverage now in his negotiation. And we have well, less, you know, a much weaker bat now really um, going into that negotiation. So, you know, if I were Cuadrado, I'd say, well, hey, you know, I got, I got a lot of, uh, Got a lot of power going into that negotiation. So, uh, yeah, I wonder how that kind of affects that, just in terms of internal resources for, for wingers. I uh, Yeah, I wonder what that will do to those uh, two contracts, to the, those two players with their contracts. I, I think it's, you know, the, the only thing that I ask now is that, you know, whatever it is, the guys they buy or they don't buy or they renew or they don't renew or, or you know, the youth players – you know, just make it make sense. Just have it make sense for once. I I do not care. Like like Sam was saying, like oh, Russ Pelleri, he's a, he's a very talented player. But if we buy him, we're going to have to insert him as a left winger or whatever, which is not his natural position. And I'm freaking done with those type of signings because <laughs> it seems like eighty five percent of our signings in the rest in the recent years have always been like, yeah, he's good, he's talented. It's just that we don't know where to play him. 
is that he has to play like he's a right winger, but he has to play in the left is that he's a second striker, but he's going to have to play, you know, as a midfielder is that, you know, all of these signings that just seems like, Hey, he's good. Let's get him. And it would just no, you know, place to actually play them. And, you know, obviously that has had a lot to do with the, you know, with the fact that we've had three coaches in three years, obviously, you know, it's a bit tough to plan ahead when those are kind of like your circumstances, but it seems like, it's a sure thing that Max Allegri will be the Juventus coach next year. He's they're going to have this transfer season to kind of figure out what they want to do. And once they do that, just get the players that actually play those positions, because honestly, I think, uh, you know, slightly above average left winger is better in my opinion than a very good player whose second or third position is left winger. And you have to stick him there. I, I do think that is just going to be the, the, the biggest thing. I'd rather get a, a not that good player, just an above average player, just a, a decent guy that actually fits within the system and that's actually playing his position than a very talented guy or a guy that's, you know, big name or whatever, but that we have to, you know, sort of play around and see where he fits. I think that that to me is the the biggest, biggest sticking point. The question is, I mean, you say that, you say that about Allegri, but Allegri's notorious for changing his mind about his tactical system halfway through the season anyway. So goodness knows what that'll, uh, you know, if if the moves for this summer will mean anything this time next year. Yeah, and, and that's something that happened with, with I remember after Cardiff, right? Like the, they had the five-star system. They needed more wide players to make it work. They got Federico Bernardeschi and Douglas Costa. It was universally seen as a good thing because we needed wingers. We got two with good wingers. And then suddenly the five-star system didn't work next year. And, and, you know, now we have too many wingers, right? Obviously that you're prone to something like that happen, like if that something like that could happen, but at the very least have a plan. And if that plan doesn't work, then you figure it out on the way. But it just seems like there hasn't been a plan at all in the last few years. So, you know, at least have a plan. If it doesn't work, then we'll figure it out. But, but at least try something and, you know, not kind of like figure it out on the go. All right. Well, who wants the first Twitter question? I volunteer as tribute. All right. Well, from Mr. Editor at Couch underscore 10, with Dybala gone, a tactical door has opened for Juventus. Direct wingers, now 4-4-3, attacking midfielders and wingers, 4-2-3-1. Three Cortista behind two strikers, 4-3-1-2. Which direction do you think Juventus will start building toward? What do you hope for, Mr. Lepresti? I don't know about what I hope for. I think I'm I'm with Sergio in in I just hope that they pick something and stick with it. But I, I do think that there there's there seems to be a something gravitating towards a winger system or at least kind of that like Christmas tree four three two one where you've got two guys who can both get to the byline if they want to, but also can roam centrally the way that that it, it kind of has looked when Vlaovic, Morata, and Dybala have all played at the same time together. I think we will end up with wingers. The question between 4-3-3 and 4-2-3-1 will be, do you have a guy that can play in the hole, which you know could be, a, could be where a guy like Zaniolo or Raspadori will come in handy, but you just need some more wingers after that? Or do you have enough midfielders to put three guys out on the midfield and say, we're okay with this midfield because there's still question as to who, what the midfield is going to look like next year. 
Um, I personally would love to be watching Nicola Rovella and Nicola Fagioli kind of taking their places there this year. We'll see what happens with it. But yeah, I, I think we'll end up with wingers. I just don't know exactly how. All right. Well, somewhat going off of what Sam just said from at Gian Carr and a bunch of numbers, I'm not going to read them off because I don't want to butcher it. Uh, Chucks, do you, do you think we'll see some of our youngsters next season play more and stay with the first team? Well, I suppose you're referring to youngsters from like Primavera, like Ake Sule and the, like well, guys like I, that. I would assume it's the under 23, right? You know, the, the Sule, the, yeah. maybe Moretti. And then also, as Sam mentioned, you know, the Ravellas and Fagiolis of the world. Right, right. I guess I'll take kind of the Primavera angle of it first and then uh, the other one. I mean, based on based on historical evidence, um, it, basically based on, you know, Allegri's tendencies, uh, I doubt we'll see like the likes of Ake and Sule become like first team players like week in, week out. I just, I mean, like Allegri's not just, he just doesn't. He hasn't done that very often. Not that he completely disregards young players, but I, I mean, I just can't think of, I mean, any slash many instances of like a Primavera player truly just coming through the team and then becoming a first team player. I mean, I just. Ends first season. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, based on that, I doubt it. Uh, that said, I think they will the likes of Ake and Sule, I think they will just be a part of the first team. Like, I think they'll tr be training with them and, you know, playing the odd Copa Italia game here and there. But um, I just, I just don't think. And again, based on just how I like, he's leans more on the conservative side with his players and young players as well. Uh, I just doubt it. And then the other side of, oh yeah, just from like the team itself. Uh, I mean, youngsters, I can really only think of like, Bellegrini, I guess. I mean, but he, and he's pretty firmly established in the team now. So I think he'll he'll continue to challenge Alexandro quite well for left left back slash left wing back spot. Not, not if Alexandro's gone. That is yeah. obviously there's so much uncertainty. Gosh, so much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, by me, I think he'll be definitely a solid part of the first team. Um, and yeah, I mean, other than that, I can't really think of youngsters. I mean, Lugani is. Convinced. Well, he's not. No, he's, he's not, not a young. I mean, yeah. Let's not do he's that. not a youngster uh, anymore. Yeah, remember him. <laughs> Known the talented prospect Daniel Rugani. Prospect. <laughs> 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 so yeah, he's a thirty-year-old prospect. So. Yeah. Hey man, hey, in under in other industries, they would be. If I were on Wall Street and I were thirty-year-old prospect, hell yeah, man, I'm making them commissions. Yeah. But um, which I'm not. I would never sell my soul to Wall Street. But yeah, other than that, I can't really think of. Too many youngsters we even have. Yeah, Moise Keane, which, yeah, again, I mean, he hasn't had a great season, so, and depends on if Morata is going to stay. So if Morata leaves, I think Keane could kind of solidify that left wing spot maybe. So, you know, again, there's so much uncertainty. I just, yeah, uh, it's hard to answer. But, I, I mean, I hope that was a decent enough answer. Next question from at Professor underscore eight, put it right on a tee for Sergio Romero. Is Herving Lozano an option for the summer transfer? Yeah, that, uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Honestly, I, to me, I would love to see Lozano at Juve. I think he's, you know, a super, super talented player. He hasn't really 
lived up to the hype uh, at Napoli because of injuries, because he had to grow a lot as a player. I think he was, you know, playing very well, you know, towards the end of last season. Then he got hurt and it's been kind of tough, a tough going for him under the new regime at, at Napoli. I do think he could fit in if we're going into the all wingers lineup. But again, it, it's the same thing. He's a right winger. Like he is not going to play over Chiesa. You would have to play him on the left. And that's, again, not his natural position. I, I do think there is a caveat with him specifically because he does play on the left um, in the national team. He can do it very well. He has been showing a lot there lately. Uh, they, he kind of switches over with, with Jesus Corona on the other wing. Like they can both play both wings. So I, I do think he comes with that caveat that he can play on the left. He's played well there before. But, and honestly, I think it might be a, a good buy low guy because Napoli is probably going to be looking to unload him. And honestly, not even being a homer, though, a little bit of a homer. You know, he is really talented. He is really good. Like if you saw him play at PSB, if you saw him play, you know, when he was clicking at Napoli, he, he's a very, very talented winger. And if Juventus were to make a, you know, low risk move for a guy like him, I think that, that there's a pretty decent chance that it might pan out. Then again, I just don't, you know, he's not particularly young either. I mean, he's not a veteran, but he's 26. So, you know, it's, he's not super young. If if it's out there as a low risk move, low, you know, I, I would definitely like see Juventus take a flyer because when he's on, he's a very, very talented player and he could very feasibly, you know, playing that left wing spot. So I, in, in, in essence, you know, overall, I think I would like to see it. I doubt that it's going to happen, but I, I think it'd be an interesting move. Next question for you, Sam, from at Tongam, going back to a discussion we had a few weeks ago. Do you think Adrian Rabio has reached his max potential? No. And that's why it's so damn infuriating <laughs> because he's, it, he he clearly has the talent to be able to do more than he's doing. He just isn't for whatever reason. It, it just isn't clicking. You know, he he we had he had that one flying moment uh, at towards the end of the the lockdown restart where he looked like an absolute world beater, and everyone was like, "All right, cool, there's one piece," and he has never hit those heists again, and. It's frustrating because I. it's clear that he has that talent. He never brings it to bear. And that's why I think Juve will probably be looking to maybe pawn him off to something like Newcastle, who are looking to make some splashes to, to move up the Premier League table with, now that the Saudis own them. Um, and it'll and usefully, because he was a free transfer, anything that you make on him is profit. So woohoo! you don't have to really hold out for much. But no, he hasn't reached his potential, and that's why it's that's why we've been so frustrated with him on this podcast for such a long time. All right, Chuck. Since you are the youth player uh, beat this this podcast episode, we'll give you another youth related question from at Lay Three Low. Many are talking about youth not being given a chance in Italy because the system is obtusely backward. But why haven't these same youngsters been going abroad? If the system doesn't want to change, do you just sit and suffer or try to go make it away from comfort? That's, that's a really good question, actually. Um, 
I mean, I think, and it's something I, I talk about a lot and just reminding people that, you know, players are obviously human beings and it's, it's hard for, you know, let's say you grew up in, in this case, uh, in Juve or just in Italy, in, in the area, whatever, kind of like the Northern Italy part, you know, if you've grown up there, then, I mean, moving to, I don't know, Germany, France, England, whatever, it's, I mean, it's still a big move. You're, you know, you're leaving your family behind your sports system and just, you know, your, your social kind of structure uh, that you're used to for all those years. Um, you're leaving all that behind. And again, I mean, talking about young players. So at that age, they're what, 19, 20 or something. I mean, in my eyes, you're still a kid in, at that, at that point in your life. So yeah, as a kid to move away, that's, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, obviously it's not impossible. Like someone like, you know, Jaden Sancho did that well when he left uh, City to go to Dortmund and, you know, kicked off his career and then <laughs> went completely downhill by going to United. <laughs> no, I, that's, uh, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. I mean, look, in general, I encourage just from a human perspective, just from a life perspective, I encourage players that are, yeah, that are, younger and you know 18 19 20 21 where okay it's not really working out for you at a big club like juve yeah i encourage you to go you know try a different league or something but at the same time maybe just from again the kind of social perspective maybe it's better just to make a move within italy so okay if you're at the youth level at juve it's not working out maybe go to a Sassuolo, a, I don't know, Bologna, um, Empoli, something like that, you know, like going to clubs like that. I'm um, go specifically going to clubs that take more risks on, on younger players, like where their kind of model is more around, okay, we get, you know, all these bunch of young players, for like, I don't know, peanuts. And then we simply risk, like we, we establish our model on just like risking, um, playing a very inexperienced side, but like young and vibrant side. And if one of them comes off, okay, then we, you know, export them basically for a lot of money. Um, there are clubs that, I mean, base their model around that. I mean, I don't see how to argue Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund really based their model on that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's really based on that. So the social perspective, but then also the, so the sporting perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's good. You could go abroad. It, it would really help your personality and, and from just a, yeah, human being perspective, it would help a lot. But it's also possible, I think, for young players to just think about, you know, smaller clubs within Italy, build it up from there, and then, you know, move up the ladder. All righty. We'll wrap things up. Uh, question, I guess we can go for the whole group, not just Sergio. Uh, from our good friend at Handy Vandy, did Italy fail to win in the World Cup playoff due to the wings of Fede not being in the squad? And as he says... I know the answer is yes already. You know, I, I, I don't know about, you know, one wing of Fede, <laughs> but, you know, as, as an impartial viewer, I mean, there's there's no doubt that, you know, they missed a guy like Chiesa. I think any team can miss a guy like Chiesa up to and very much including Juventus. I mean, you, you take a guy out with that much quality, with that much talent, it's obviously going to going to be a detriment to the team. You know, then again, and this is my last point before I'm sure the the Italian heritage people in this pod have a take. But, you know, <laughs> you, you would think that that beating Northern Macedonia, you know, you, you could probably pull that off even without Chiesa. But but, you know, I, I'm going to open that up for for comments. 
Well, Sergio, when you blast, what was it, 30 something shots and over half of them are blocked, it's uh, it's not a good day at the office. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having, having Chiesa might have opened things up a little more and it would have prevented Domenico Berardi from having the, the world's most epic brain fart really? of a soccer game. I mean, yes, having, not having Chiesa hurt, I think there was a fundamental mistake made by Roberto Mancini in not diversifying his, his forward line that caused the bigger one. And of course, you know, Jorginho hits one of two penalties and or Juve doesn't lay an egg against Bulgaria in qualifying and they're not even there. So it's there, there, there are so many different things to this, but in terms of that particular game, I think it, it came down to Mancini holding far too long, holding on far too long to a guy in Chiri Mobile, who is just a different player for the worse when he puts on a, an Italy shirt as opposed to a Lazio shirt, both in the macro and in the micro, because he should have moved on from He should have subbed him out in that game far earlier than he did. And he should have been trying to identify any potential alternatives far earlier than he did. Yeah, I'll just uh, quickly comment on that. I don't think. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think. Yeah, the, Chucks, your your home country has already qualified for the World yeah, Cup. You yeah. don't need to worry about any of this. Yeah, we got. Uh, in the words of uh, the coach, we got Louis von Gaal's army. Louis von Gaal's uh, army says that with that very harsh, uh, harsh voice of his. Um, no, uh, I think with Italy it was really. I mean, I don't think they missed Chiesa per se because I mean they clearly didn't have any problem creating chances in that game. Um, I mean, it seemed like really just the striker issue of uh, Chile Immobile. But at the same time, also Berardi, I think, had the most amount of shots that game of any Italy player. So, yeah, I mean, something was just... I mean, Berardi just having a complete off day. And yeah, Chile Immobile, uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> something, <laughs> something's got to give there. I mean, you know, but I mean, I think that game just reminded us really of just... And, and Jorginho's two missed penalties of just how... Football is a game of painfully fine margins. Uh, like you said, I mean, he scores those scores one of those goals, uh, penalties rather. And, you know, we're not even talking about this. So it's football, such a cruel, cruel game of such fine margins. Indeed it is. And uh, as by choice, that is our world cup, <laughs> our Italy world cup discussion for this week. And until there's probably another we won't be breaking down the Italy Turkey game. Let's just say that. So <laughs> thank you all for your Twitter questions. I, I want also want to shout out another friend of the pod at uh, Juventino underscore BNA, whose Twitter question just involves something. And I quote something about Dybala. So, you know, that was a hard hitting question that I think we talked about plenty earlier in the podcast. So uh, we will leave that one there. But uh, again, thank you all for your Twitter questions. We always appreciate them. As always, you can send them to us at Juventus nation on the Twitter machine you want to follow us there as well as on facebook search black and white and red all over same as search phrase for your favorite podcasting platform whether it is apple podcasts spotify or google podcasts if you do listen on apple podcasts or spotify feel free to give us a rating a review all of those nice things so for sam for chucks for sergio and mr editor couch this is danny saying thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you guys next week